Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Welcome, folks. Thanks for being here. If you're a visitor, so great to have you. Thanks for coming. I'm going to share from Matthew chapter 18 and a bit from Luke 15 and Luke 17 today. And we're talking about Jesus' life. We decided to just look at Jesus for a bit in our church sermons. And we've got to this time where the disciples come to him and they're arguing and jostling as adult, normal humans do about personal greatness. Can I be great? And Jesus calls a little child and the little child comes and hugs him and sits on his lap. And Jesus says, unless you get changed and become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. You can't be great in the kingdom. And then he goes on to tell a whole lot of different stories that come out of this whole idea that children are what the kingdom is like and adults somehow have missed the plot. And so there's this beautiful little innocent, playful, probably a little bit naughty and uncontrolled, but a child, an innocent child on his lap. And there's the conniving, jostling uh, disciples all around him. And he's saying, how did we get from this to you? How did, how did this happen? How did we change from this innocent, giggly, happy, yay, love you, Jesus, to, oh, can I be greater than him? And Jesus tells some stories, and they, they all are amazing. They're life-changing. And so as a result, normally we tell a story about the prodigal son, and we just tell it on its own. Or when Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and speak to him, and we tell that on its own. Or the lost sheep, or the lost coin. Or all these different stories we tell on their own. But actually, they were all in this context of Jesus saying, How did we go from children to conniving adults and how can we change it so that we become a community? He's talking to his disciples. How can we become a family where we have the innocence of children again? And I'm praying and believing. I've got a real uh, excitement in my heart that something's going to change in our midst, in my life, but in all of our lives today. Not just individuals. We're not just a, a bunch of individuals. We're a family going somewhere. And we need to get this. Jesus wanted his disciples to know it. And he told stories in a way that would change their hearts. They're very heartfelt stories. They really tug at your heartstrings, especially the prodigal son. It's so emotive, but there's a reason for it. We need to change our hearts. And the, the natural tendency, if we left to our default, we become conniving adults. But if we change and become like children, we become something beautiful that is the church that God can use to to grow his kingdom. Um, The other thing that just occurs to me is while Jesus is telling the story about children and about he tells he says that sin will come and change children into adults. Woe to the person through whom that sin comes. It's better that you cut off your hand than you, than you let that happen. Um, and then he talks about if your brother sins against you and, and how to repent of sin, the prodigal son, and all this kind of stuff. But while he's saying this, he's aware that Judas is going to betray him. I'm convinced of it. He knew that Judas was sitting there listening. And, and yet he just shares the story, just throws it out there, knowing very well that not all of his disciples will be touched and become broken like the prodigal son was. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture. And if you could just concentrate on it. Um, Okay, let's go. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives a little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses or sins, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life maimed, lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. So he was saying sin is the problem. But how do we deal with sin? Let's move on. He says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And then he said some more things, but we'll have to look in Luke to find them. But I'm just going to keep reading just in Matthew so that we don't have to keep turning pages. Verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But by the way, this is one of the only two times Jesus said the word church. Very interesting. And both times, right after that, he said, whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Very interesting, but that's just a, a separate issue. So he says, if your brother refuses to listen, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right, let's go to Luke 15 to see what else Jesus said on this amazing day. Luke 15. I'm just going to read from verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep... If he, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Isn't that a lovely picture? He puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. I want to be that sheep. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. This theme of a party runs through all of this, and, and I think church should be a party. Verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when, by the way, that's what we should be doing. We should be lighting a lamp. We should be shining. We should be searching for the lost and cleaning the house, getting rid of sin. <laughs> If we do those three, we're doing what Jesus said here, but let, let me move on. When she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. So she found her coin after searching. She says, rejoice with me. Let's have a party for I found the coin that was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
And then this beautiful parable. Listen to this. Imagine, imagine the scene. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods which falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. He gave both the sons their inheritance. He, he gave everything away. Verse 13. And not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together. Not many days. He didn't wait much. Didn't even wait a week. Got all his stuff together journeyed to a far country and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine or pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself... When he woke up, when he realized what was going on, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. <laughs> music and dancing. There was a disco going on. I think that's what church should be like actually. But that's just my opinion. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. It's weird. <laughs> Just weird. He thinks he can't have fun. And he can't have what he needs. But his father's already given him everything. And his father, there's a party going on. Anyway, let's go on. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then lastly, Luke 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he sh should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So, what's the problem? The problem is sin. And we don't like that word. 
in the world, in the non-Christian world outside the church, we don't like the word sin. Call it a mistake, an oops, uh, this or that. We put little names for it. We call it an affair instead of, I, I broke trust with my wife and I, I abused her trust. We say, oh, it's an affair, sounds such a nice little word. We find little words and we like to duck and dive and dodge. We don't like to say the word sin, but Jesus said sin is the problem. And in the church, the weird thing is grace, grace, grace. But Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, there's sin in the church. And we've got to learn to deal with this issue of sin because Jesus said it's so serious that it's better to lose a hand than to let sin have its way. And if we just pretend sin doesn't exist and sweep it under the carpet and call it a nice name and, you know, just paint it over and put a little band-aid over it, instead of realizing what it is and how to deal with it, then it'll destroy us as Christians and it destroys the world. You know, the world is destroyed because of sin. We can say, oh, there's lots of reasons for the problems in the world and this and that. It boils down to this word sin and God said it right from the beginning. It's always been sin and sin is when I say, I want to do it my way. It's for me. Just like the prodigal. He's got everything. He's sitting in his father's house. A place where there's music, dancing, lots of food. He's got everything he needs. He never has to worry. He never has to earn or slave or work. He's relaxed. He's secure. He's happy. Just like I said last week, a kid likes to have fun and rejoice. They like to be secure in their relationship. And it's all about relationships instead of having to achieve. That's what the son had. And suddenly the idea came into his mind, which is what happens when a person changes from being in this relationship with God to, to being a, a conniving adult, as I like to say. What happened was he said, I wonder if this is really the best there is. I wonder if there isn't more out there. I wonder if my dad really is the best source of fun and provision and security. I wonder if maybe, maybe there's more out there. And so he takes what he's got. And that's the weird thing is everything we have, God gave us. But then we rebel against him and he lets us take it with us. And so we go and we rebel and we live for ourselves. And we're taking all the blessings and the talents and the wealth and the relationships that God's given us. And we use it to sin. And all the time we're thinking the source, my father, that house, that relationship that I had is not really the best. I can do better on my own. I can earn it myself. I don't need my dad. And that's the first step in the, in the progression from child to adult. And it's a terrible thing. Sin is terrible. But the weird thing or the important thing to realize is sin is mostly, firstly, a relationship and a trust issue rather than an action. We think sin means, have you done this, 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 or this? Or have you failed to do this, 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 or this? And the Bible shows, Jesus shows, it's actually a trust and a relationship issue first. If the son had been happy with the dad, the, nothing would have happened. It's not the fact that he slept with a whole lot of prostitutes and got drunk and took drugs. It's the fact that he didn't trust his dad. <laughs> that's it. That's the, that's the essence of sin. But you see, adults, we like to be legalistic. And this is what happens here. We like to think it's about actions and actions have consequences. So if I do wrong, then the consequence, according to the law, is if I 
break your car, then I must pay you a thousand pounds. And we think that makes sin right, as if one piece of damage, some money can make what happened to that car and all the issues that happened go away. We think justice and actions can fix sin, but it's a relationship issue. It's always a relationship issue. There can be recompense and, and something we have to do. But if we don't get the relationship sorted out, sin is never dealt with. And so that's why the world can never deal with sin. Revenge, one harmful act, doesn't make another harmful act better. <laughs> it just doesn't. And paying recompense doesn't make the harmful act go away. There's just sins building up in the world all around us. And you sin against him and he sins against her and I sin against you. And it just builds up and we try to make it better by legal systems. But it doesn't go away. The hurt and the effects of the sin just build up and build up until it's this toxic mess. So the son went out and he thought, let me break away. And he goes and he realizes that actually sin has pleasure for a time. He starts to have some enjoyment and woohoo, it's great. But eventually it starts to cost him. And he realizes the friends that he had when his money's gone, they're not there anymore. And he gets to the stage where if you go into this adult world where actions and consequences are what it's all about, eventually you have to work to get. And that's what happened to him. That's the sign of an adult versus a child. A child doesn't work to get. They relax in dad's presence. If they work, it's out of love for dad. But an adult says, if I do X many hours, I want X many pounds. And that's what happened to this guy. And so he started working to try and get. The problem is, sin costs more than you get. <laughs> it always does. You never get paid what you wanted. It always offers something great, and you try it, and there's some pleasure, but the price tag is always higher than you thought it would be. And there's a hook that keeps you in it longer than you want it to be there. And the sun ends up, Working for somebody who doesn't care about him, feeding pigs, and longing. There's this desire, this hunger, this need within him for food, but also for something more. And he's longing that even the food that the pigs are eating, he could get. He's longing for it. You know, sin is like that. I, I've got this need. I've rejected God. I'm going on my own. I'm going to try and do it myself. And then I start working for something. I think it's pleasure. Maybe it's drink or drugs or pornography or affairs or whatever it is. I think it's pleasure, but pretty soon I realize I'm actually a slave. I'm working for this thing. I can't stop. And the thing, the pleasure that I need, the, the desire within me, I'm trying to get it from this thing, but it's, it's not satisfying me and it's dirty and I feel like there's something wrong and it's like pig food. And so I'm more hungry, so I try more sin and it just doesn't satisfy And eventually the son, the Bible says he came to himself. You know, true identity. The, the world says express yourself, know yourself, be yourself. True identity is only found when I connect with God my Father. And it says he came to himself and he realized this adult thing where I work and I earn isn't working for me. I've got to go back to my dad. That's where security is. That's where life is. That's where forgiveness is. But he's still in the mentality of a servant. A servant works to earn. 
a son relaxes and enjoys. And he's still in the mentality of a servant. And so he thinks, I'll go back to my dad and I'll say, Dad, I will be your servant. I will work for you this many hours a week and you will give me this much food. Is that okay, Dad? He's still thinking in this mentality. And unfortunately, many of us in the church are in that same boat. We've been living in the world for so long that we come back into the church and we think, I must work for God to get. And so he comes back to his dad. He starts the walk back home. And the Bible says his dad saw him from a long way away, which means his dad was sitting there every day looking, waiting. But you know what's significant? In the first two stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin, the owner of the sheep and the coin, they go looking for the thing. And there is a way in which God is looking for us. But when it comes to a lost son, the son has to choose to come home himself. God will never force you, even though you're a lost sheep or a lost coin or a lost son, God will never grab you and force you to come back to him. He says, I'm offering love, but you must choose to come back. Because otherwise it's not real love and relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. If I made an animated robot that looked exactly like a human and I programmed it with artificial intelligence so that it was so human-like that it could be my friend, a time would come where I would have to decide, am I going to program this computer that it must like me or am I going to give it the choice to not like me? And if I program that computer that it must like me, then I will never really believe that it's my friend. <laughs> Because it's just doing what I programmed it to do. If God forced us to come back to Him, there would never be true relationship. He says, I love you. I'm so sad that you're living in a pigsty. But you must choose. You must come to yourself. You must see where you are. And the son turns around. It's more a change of heart than a change of action. The change of action comes. But it's the heart attitude that changes first. So the son changes. He comes back. And he starts to re repeat his rehearsed lines. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Before he can get the words that say, make me one of your servants. Before he can fill out the job application form. Before he can give his CV and, and look at the contract of employment with God. Before he gets there, when he's still talking about sons, the father hugs him, rejoices, kisses him. And the word is, continues kissing him. There's just like slobber all over the place. And amazing emotion. The father hugs him, picks him up, runs, yeah, rejoicing. And he takes the son back. Can you imagine how that son felt? He's starting to realize adult life, where it's all about earning and deserving and being independent. It's not about relationship. That doesn't work. It's about relaxing as a son. I don't deserve it, but thank you, Father, that I'm your son. And the father takes him in. He puts a robe on him, which means identity and righteousness. This is a royal son, an important son. He puts a ring on his finger, which means it's like um, a credit card. With, this, with the, re the ring, you have authority to go and do transactions on behalf of the dad. Gives him authority to go and represent the father so he's got identity he's got authority put sandals on his feet which is a mission you've got something to do for me we we're doing this together son and then he kills a fattened calf which means i'm paying for your sin with a blood sacrifice now let's eat and enjoy and rejoice in that and then there's music and dancing and people come in and whoa hey that's salvation that's christianity 
I was, I was an adult on my own trying to be independent, but now I'm free and I'm rejoicing. And I rest in my father's love. But there's another son. And he's the good church boy who's never left church. And he's been there every day, every Sunday, and he's served in this committee and this thing, and he's done all the right stuff, and he's never done anything wrong. But the problem is, he also thinks like a servant. Even though he's in church, he's an adult in his thinking because he thinks, if I work, I get. And so he says to his father, I have been slaving for you all these years. Do you see that? He might be in the house, but he's not acting like a son. He's not acting like a child. He's acting like an employee. I've been slaving for you, and you didn't even give me a fattened calf to eat, to eat with my friends. Oh, dead man. <coughs> Come on. And he's all offended because the other brother, because brother so-and-so was in the pub last weekend and he's in church this Sunday. How dare he come and be a Christian? How dare he get forgiven? That's not right. How dare God heal sister so-and-so? She's only been a Christian for six months. What about me? I've been serving the Lord all these years. Because he's an adult in his thinking. He thinks if I do, then there's a, a, a result. The problem is the wages of anything is always death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is life. Wages always will never be enough. You'll always end up short in the red, unemployed, going to hell, which is where the son went because he didn't come into the party. The party's going on there. Heaven. Woohoo! And the oldest son, how sad is this? He's been in church his whole life. But because he thinks he's got to earn it, he doesn't go into the party. Wow. So how do we deal with sin? Brothers and sisters. Number one, sin is serious. Sin messes things up. Sin is the problem. <laughs> when I hurt you, or when you hurt him or her or whatever, there is a price to be paid. It is a serious thing. But the answer is not to get all adult and legalistic and say, you've done this, therefore this is the, pe the penalty. The answer is to be found in the love of God. There's no other place to find it. That sacrifice, when the father sacrificed the fattened calf and there was a blood spilled and then they ate and rejoiced together, that's a picture of Jesus paying the price for my sin and your sin and that's the only way that sin can be dealt with. I must... Come to, through that gate for sin to be dealt with. I must have my sins forgiven by the Father, and I must forgive others. And that's what Jesus goes on to talk about in Matthew 18 later. But there's this little passage where he says, now we're all in the family, now we're, we're all in the Father's house, and we're as kids and we're rejoicing. What do you do if your brother sins against you? Now what do you do? Do we just say, oh, well, it doesn't matter? Do we just forget it? Sometimes we can forget it and we can move on and it's no problem. But there are times, especially when it's your brother or your wife or your husband, where you can't forget it. Let's just say, I want to make clear, I do not beat my wife. But let's just say I hit my wife. Okay? With a reasonably big stick. 
about that big. And I hit her. And she says, what are you doing? Now, because we're in a, a covenant relationship, we're married, we can't just overlook the sin. We can't just pretend it never happened. You know, if somebody else hits me, I can say, oh, well, I'll, I'll probably never see him again. Don't worry, I'll forgive him and move on with a clean heart. But if I've got to live in the same house with that person, day in and day out, if I'm in the church and I've got to live in church and we've got to go together as a family, I can't just pretend sin didn't happen. He says, you go to your brother and you tell him, this is what's happened. And if he repents, you've won your brother over. If he doesn't repent, you treat him like a tax collector or a sinner. Now, some people think that that means you never see him again. But Jesus loved tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> he ate with them all the time. In fact, they, the, the Pharisees criticized him. They said, you're always with the tax collectors and the sinners. But the tax collectors and the sinners were not part of his team, his family, his disciple group. They were people outside who he was trying to reach and love, but they weren't the ones close to him who he did everything with and moved forward together with. Friends, in close relationships, brothers and sisters in the church, in families, in marriages, there is no other way to do it than for you to say to your brother, you have sinned against me. And if he repents, it says, you take him back. You know, the, I've been in church for a long time. And the number of times I've heard the phrase, if I've done anything wrong, I'm sorry. What's the problem with that? There's no repentance there. It's a, it, you're trying to get out of a legal contract clause. I hereby formally say it. Or, yes, I've done something wrong. Or, I'm sorry. But. But you. I, I'm sorry I hit you. But you didn't cook a nice supper. Repentance, when I've come to the Father and I've realized how much He's forgiven me. I'll show you what real repentance is like. Hosea 14, verse 12, I think it is, says, Come back to the Lord and take words with you. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes to the church a harsh letter. And he says, I made you sorry, but it led to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death. There's a worldly sorrow which says, oh, I'm so cross I got caught. But there's a godly sorrow which says, my wife, I hit you with a stick. That was wrong because, and you explain why it was wrong. It must have made you feel like this. I was wrong. No excuses. I am wrong for these reasons. And I don't care if the whole world knows it because I'm truly sorry. That is repentance. Say, I'm sorry, but it wasn't really that bad. It's not repentance. And we can't have relationships. Real repentance says I'm completely to blame for these reasons. And you explain how the other person feels. Then I know you've understood. And now we move forward in love. And we have to deal with sin. In our own lives, in the church, in the world around us, and with our Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Maybe the musicians can play for us. You guys just play a bit of, bit of music for us. That would be awesome. Thanks.
Folks, shall we stand? And let's just worship. Let's just focus on the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you have poured grace into our lives, Lord. Thank you that you've forgiven us, Lord. Thank you that you poured out love which we didn't deserve. Thank you, God, that we can be forgiven and free, not as adults because we deserve it, but as children secure in your house. But Lord, I pray, please help us. Please help us, Lord, in this issue today. Please help us to recognize the seriousness of sin and to learn to deal with it properly, not as adults, but as children, Lord. Help us, Lord, I pray. Please, Lord, would you pour grace into our hearts, into our lives, into our church. Pour it in, Lord. Let the world look at us and say there's something different about these people. They have a party. Why are, why are they so happy? How can they rejoice like this? Father, I pray that we would learn how to deal with this properly. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Father, pour grace in, I pray. Pour grace. Pour it in, Lord. Thank you, God. You might be here today and you say, I'm, I'm far from God. I'm living in sin because I thought I could do it better myself. I didn't trust God enough. And God is here today and He's saying, come back to me, my child. Come back. Come back. Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. Today is the day. If that's you, I would like to pray with you. If you could just lift your hand today and say, yes, I want to come back to the Lord. I've been far from Him. Just lift your hand right now. We'll pray with you. Is there anyone? And if you're here today and you're in a broken relationship with a brother or sister, today's the day to fix it. Today's the day to fix it, to receive the forgiveness of the Lord, but then to go and make right. Today's the day. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.